welcome to a second chance personal stories of near-death experiences the journey and beyond for the most positive and uplifting time on the radio stay tuned and get in tune with your host gina kane of second chance radio hello everybody welcome to a second chance podcast if this is your first time here i would like to thank you for finding us i am your host gina kane Today will be the second part of an interview on estate planning with Nicole Whip. If you haven't heard the very first interview, I definitely recommend that you stop this podcast now and go back and listen to the first part. It was full of some valuable information on everything that you need to know to prepare your will. And if you have children, some important things that you need to know just in case anything should ever happen to you to make sure all the arrangements for them are made legal. So do go check that out and then come on back and listen to part two. And for those of you that have been listening to this podcast and leaving reviews for us, I just want to say a huge thank you. And I'll be sharing some of those reviews after the interview. And if you're finding this information that Nicole is sharing helpful, please do let her know. Check out her website, smartplanning101.com or on Twitter at Nicole Whip. And of course, I will have all those links for you on the show notes at everydayisasecondchance.com. So now, without any further ado, here is the second part with Nicole Whip. Sometimes I have clients that will say, well, my grandchildren cannot receive any outright inheritance unless they've accumulated at least $250,000 of their own assets. And until they've done that, they aren't getting any money. And that's pretty crazy in some ways. But if you think about it, it serves a great purpose. And the purpose really is you're saying unless you are capable of acquiring assets on your own, I'm not giving you mine. You are entitled to receive these until you have proven that you can acquire assets and be responsible about them. So that's just something that people, some people choose to do. And it can be a very good incentive because money spoils people. Another thing that some people do will say, well, I'll leave it to you for educational purposes, but you have to be enrolled in a, you know, degree granting institution and you have to get at least a 3.0 before any Mm -hmm. money will be dispersed for that purpose because you're not going to pay for somebody to party their way through college. And so this way you get the power of what happens if you can't be here to see it through. Right. And so. There's ways of lovingly incentivizing people to be responsible, your children to be responsible, because in some of these cases, we're trying to remain being a parent, like saying, I'm not doing this to punish you. And I do want to be clear, like none of these things I just talked about are ever meant like we're designing this to punish your kids. We're doing it to remain being the guidance and the loving parents that we are today. And so it is our job as parents to teach our children about money and to teach them the importance of being hardworking and saving. And so when you just give them money, they don't learn that. And mm-hmm. so it's a way to do that. And, but it's not like you want to deprive them. Of course, we don't want to do that. So you want a way for them to be able to get the money. It's just that they're not going to make the choice about it. Somebody else that's more responsible will. Mm, I like that. That is a very good idea. So what would be the next uh, step now in the planning process that you might want to take? Well, putting all of that aside, let's just talk about 
doing powers of attorney. And what I think is absolutely essential for anybody 18 years or older, and why do I say 18 years or older? Well, because at the age of 18, you become a legal adult. And so your parents are no longer automatically able to make decisions for you, at least in the United States, about anything. And that's probably true in Canada as well. And mm -hmm. so while we tend to con continue to consider our children our children, legally, they're adults. So whether it's ourselves or our children, we need to, our 18-year-old or above children or our parents, we all need to have powers of attorney. And a great example of this is, for example, you, you're in a hospital, unexpected emergency. Now, if you would have been in a position where you would have been unable to make any of your own decisions, mm -hmm. who was going to make those for you? if you don't have a proper legal document giving that person the authority. And so you don't want to put yourself in a position once again where somebody that you don't want or somebody that's inappropriate or a stranger, even worse, is making your health care decisions for you. And so having the health care power of attorney is essential from that aspect. But then it really also is essential for talking about things related to the end of life because you know i don't know if you remember this but it was a very famous case in the united states from a woman named terry shivo and terry was a young woman that ended up being on life support and her husband insisted that she didn't want to live that way and that he needed to remove her from life support because she wasn't the doctors had said she was brain dead she's not going to come back you know, she's never going to get better. She is basically a vegetable for the rest of her life. And Terry's parents insisted that she would want to stay on life support. And mm -hmm. they battled this out all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. And we don't, I mean, that was an extreme case, but it really illustrates what happens is that if you don't execute a legal document that explains what you want, you're leaving your loved ones to, to guess and to put their decisions in place of yours. And what happens is, you know, I always tell people, I don't care how many times you've talked about this. I don't care if you've talked about this with your husband and your, your mom and dad and you've talked about it a million times, which practically nobody has. But mm -hmm. let's say you have. I don't care if you have. How easy is it for somebody that you love to sit next to your bed in the hospital and hold your hand and say, I have to make a decision to kill this person today. Mm -hmm. Because that's really what it comes down to when they have to make that decision to remove you from life support. They have to play God. Yeah, you, uh, you had me tearing up because when I was in the cardiac unit, uh, it was like being in jail for five days. They had a heart monitor on me and I wasn't allowed to leave to go anywhere in the hospital. And I didn't fit in very well because there wasn't very many young people there. But I made really good friends with an older lady whose husband had that exact same thing happen. And she did have to make that choice. And he had told her what his wishes were, but nothing was written. And when it came to it, she couldn't do what he wanted because she couldn't say, go ahead and kill him. She she wanted him to stay with her. And it was just heartbreaking to watch them go through that. Right. And so you exactly have seen what I'm saying. And so by having a written document that you have signed that was legal 
you are enabling a family member, somebody that you love, to make the right decision and not have the guilt associated with it. You're mm-hmm. enabling them to do the right thing by you without having to play God for you. And I always tell people, it's not nice to do this to people you say you love. So by failing to have done this, you're not doing right by the people that you say you care about. And mm-hmm. it's so easy to execute these legal documents. It's so easy to go to a lawyer and yeah, it might cost you some money, okay? But what money is better spent, I think, than giving the proper tools and the proper instructions and, you know, giving somebody the power to not have guilt for the rest of their lives. Because I can tell you, I've had people in my office sobbing, literally sobbing, years after they had to pull a parent off of life support, for example, Mm -hmm. and second guessing themselves and, you know, agonizing. And we're talking years later. So here is an adult person sitting in my office, a wreck, a whole emotional wreck over this, something that happened years ago. What parent wants that for their children? Mm -hmm. Nobody does. But when you refuse to or you, you know, blow these things off, this is the kind of thing that happens is that this person is doing this. And I mean, you know, the one case that I'm thinking about, all of her siblings told me she did the right thing. You know, it's totally right. That's exactly what mom wanted. But she didn't feel that way because there wasn't something that was in writing saying, yes, do this for me. I want this to happen in this way. Mm-hmm. She had to substitute her judgment. Yeah. Wow. This can be such a dark and sad topic. I'm feeling like crying right now. Well, I, uh... I agree with you, Gina. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why we don't do it is because it feels very negative and gloomy. Mm -hmm. But I really, really, really believe that doing this by, by doing these things, you are committing a real act of love for the people that are in your life, whether it's your children, your spouse, your parents, your siblings. You're really, it's an act of love to say, I'm going to put aside the fact that I don't feel comfortable with this and I don't want to think about these things. I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to think of you guys first. Because on Mm -hmm. some level, think about it, it really isn't about us. And that's why some people sort of don't think about it because they're like, I don't care what happens to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, For the very brief few moments that they convinced me I might be dying, it wasn't scary at all, the dying aspect. It was really scary, though, thinking about leaving three kids and having this life insurance plan, but nothing said or nothing done or no wishes being made and just kind of wondering what would happen there. Right. So I, yeah, there's something to be said about having certainty of what will happen is much better than having uncertainty. And by failing to plan, you have uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. Like it wasn't, it was of course scary to think about dying. It was scary to think about leaving your children but it's all the unknowns about what that means that are even more scary. Absolutely. And I just kind of wanted to share a little bit of a cheery moment, I guess, to try to make this a little more happy. Good. Let's do that. (laughs) What I did when I got out of the hospital and uh, my husband and I, we actually sat down together and had a few glasses of wine and listened to some music and just had some fun and laughed. And then we sat down and we spent two hours going through all the paperwork of what decisions need to be made and what it is that we wanted. And as hard as it is to talk about, we had a lot of fun and it was a lot easier to get down to that, what you need to do after that conversation. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, yes, it can really become a very positive dialogue and a really good bonding experience for your, you and your spouse, you and your parents, even, you know, for those um, people that might have older children, you and your children. And I will say that my clients very often will come back, you know, after time has gone on and say to me, you know, this really has brought my family together. Like we were able to talk about things in a way that was much more significant than we ever had or haven't had in a long time. Like we had a really fundamental conversation in the family and it felt great. And I feel like I'm that much closer with my loved ones. And so there are definitely a lot of extremely positive things that can result from having these conversations and don't, it doesn't in any way have to be gloomy and doomy. Oh, absolutely. And before you get uh, going on to the next topic, just in case people are feeling a little overwhelmed right now and thinking this is so much to remember, you have a podcast that shares a lot of this information, do you not? Oh, yeah, I do. It's called Smart Planning 101. And you can find it on iTunes. Smart Planning 101. So I'm going to put that into the resource page on everydayisasecondchance.com. So that way, if anybody needs specific information, they can find your podcast and then listen to the ones that apply to them. Oh, yeah, that's great. And Ed, on those podcasts, I am talking in some of them, but really, I'm also interviewing national experts on these topics. So it's really getting a real holistic view of all of it from other people's you know, perspectives as well. Wonderful. I think I'm going to be giving that a listen because I'm still trying to work through all this paperwork myself. And what would you say would be the next step after the power of attorney that people want to think about, Nicole? Well, then you're going to go into the whole wills and trusts thing and I, you know, and the guardians of your children and um, the who's going to be responsible for the money and all those kinds of questions. And it really can be as simple as that. You know, it, it doesn't have to be more complex than that for younger people, particularly. When it comes into play that it becomes more complex is when we're talking about issues relating to elder law, because elder law has now we're looking at we're we're taking sort of a different view of the situation and we're saying, okay, how are we going to manage the care of somebody as they're exiting life or in the later years of their life? And this is really essential because, you know, we are experiencing a great increase in worldwide, but certainly in both U.S. and Canada, of elderly people. People are getting older and we have a lot more older people in our countries today than ever. And it's going to only exponentially increase over the next 20, 40 years. And so... This is really causing a lot of burdens on both the Canadian and the American health systems. Um, I have been lucky enough to be in contact with much of the Canadian elder law community as well. And while the laws are different in Canada and certainly the healthcare system is structured differently, um, the issues remain the same. And that's how are we going to ensure that our older people that we love in our life are being taken care of. And this becomes a really big issue for adult children of aging parents, because how is mom and dad going to get the care that they need? You know, maybe dad dies and mom's had a stroke and now she sort of needs somebody to watch over because she's falling all the time. This is something that we mm-hmm. deal with. And so, you know, um, but now how do you afford it? Because, you know, that type of care, and I think it's true in Canada as well, especially in your province, 
is not necessarily paid for by the government or by your health insurance. And so you need to figure out other ways. And so then a lot of times this money or how it gets happens is related to getting private care. Mm -hmm. Now, this can be very, very expensive. Just to put in a little bit of context about where I practice, okay, I'm in Southeast Michigan, and where I practice, you're looking at for a nursing home, so a skilled nursing facility, about $8,500 a month or more. Oh, wow. And this, by and large, is going to be what we would call private pay, meaning it's Mm -hmm. coming out of your pocket. And people don't understand that. They, they're, they don't understand of these things because this is all becoming sort of new to people. They're like, wow, really? And I know in Canada, there's a similar kind of situation. It's not exactly the same, but this is the thing. If you don't know what's going on, I, this is part of the thing I'm going to tell you as um, listeners. If you're in Canada or even in the United States, if you don't know the answer of what the cost of a monthly nursing home is going to be in your area and you have aging parents, you should know because mm-hmm it's going to be much more than you thought it would be is really what the thing is. So then what happens is you, the child, you know, the adult child are all stressed out. Mom can't afford that. Dad can't afford that. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Do I have to, do they have to be living in some hole somewhere? I mean, it's just, it becomes very stressful. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's part of what elder law is seeking to do is provide solutions for what's happening at that part of life. Because, You know, the statistics in the United States currently are that 33, well, 70% of people 65 and above are going to need a year or more of long-term care. And so Mm -hmm. long-term care can mean anything from assistance with bathing and dressing, walking, standing, taking meds, you know, those kinds of things. That's, That's what it can mean, okay? And they're going to need a year or more of long-term care. And that usually means that we're paying out of pocket to have somebody provide those services to us. Mm-hmm. 33% of Americans, 65 and above, are going to spend a year or more in a nursing home. So one third are going to spend a year of... or more in a nursing home. It's a lot of people. And one in 10 are going to spend five or more years in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of people. And people always say to me, you know, well, that I'm never going to go into a nursing home. My, my daughter's promised me that she's never going to put me in a nursing home. I, you know, I'm, that's never mm-hmm. going to happen. And all I can say to that is, is, well, the statistics are the statistics. I didn't make those up. You know, they're public record is number one. And number two, please don't make your adult child promise that to you. And if you're the adult child, please don't promise that to your parent because you may need to break that promise. The thing is, is that as much as our intentions might be, we might not be able to provide the level of care that our parents may need. And that might be the only option. And so when that happens, it's horrible if you've made that promise, because now you're breaking a promise that you made to somebody. And so, you know, we don't want to we don't want to go down that path, because that just compounds the issues. But so we want to be aware of those things. But we also want our parents to have proper legal documents, or if you are the aging parent, you want to have proper legal documents for powers of attorney, both health and financial, that are going to enable your children to take control at a time when you're going to need them to. And that is so often not the case. We 
see every single day people do not have proper legal documents. And it's heartbreaking because the result of that is that we have to go to court. Yes. Yes. And you don't want to go to court when you're in these highly traumatic situations. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, you need to you need to really be aware that that's important. But Another thing that I do want to point out about that is a lot of times I'll, and I know that this is a problem nationwide because I have relationships with attorneys in every state, and this is something that we talk about frequently, that people think they're all set. They'll say, oh, I have a power of attorney. I'm all set. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they downloaded it or something, or, you know, they maybe have gotten it even from what we would call an estate planning attorney. And... The thing is, is a lot of times those types of powers of attorney are not sufficient for elder law purposes, and they aren't going to allow or permit the types of things that elder law attorneys are going to need to do to protect an elder person. The problem is, is you as the child or, you know, as a non-attorney, non-elder law attorney are not going to actually be able to read it and be confident that it's true, even if you think you can because the reasons why those documents documents aren't sufficient aren't usually readily apparent. And so you don't want to be walking through life believing that everything's all set if you haven't had these documents drafted by an elder law attorney, because there are issues that are very specific to elder law that need to be included and very frequently aren't. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what people can do to be prepared. If they're going to go in and see an elder law attorney or an estate planning attorney, what kinds of things can they talk about in that pre-conversation before they sit down with a lawyer? Well, I think it's important to talk about what do you want and think about it. You know, what, who would be the right person or people to raise my minor children? Who are the right people or person to manage my children's money? What do I really think for the long term is going to be the best living situation for them, even if it disrupts them a little bit in the shorter term? You know, what's going to be right for them in the long term? And I can just tell you from experience, even that thought process, and I know you know this as well, Gina. I mean, when I had to think about that, and I have a three-year-old, he's going to be four in December. And I remember I, my husband and I, and I mean, I do this all day long. And I'm sitting there with my husband and I were talking about it, and I was bawling my eyes out because I just couldn't mm-hmm. imagine what that would mean that my son would be without me and him. You know, I just couldn't fathom it, right? But you still need to think about it. And so you need to think about it a little bit. And you need to have those conversations. And it's also good to have those, other, those conversations with maybe the people that you pick. Like, are you, are you willing to do this? Is this something that you'd be willing to step up? Are there problems from your perspective in doing this for us? And to have those conversations. Also being clear about who's the best person to manage your money on your behalf if you're unable to do it for yourself mm-hmm. during your life. Okay, so that's a, that's a key. And then who's the best person to make your health care decisions, and that is up to and including pulling the plug if you're unable to make that decision on your own. Who Who are the backups to those people? Because... One of the mistakes we often see is that people only think of one person. You need to have two or three people deep, okay? Yeah. Another thing that we see is common, a lot of times people want to name two or three people to simultaneously serve and make these decisions. And usually that's happening because you feel like you want to be quote-unquote fair to these people. Like, uh, um, okay. 
And I know that there are attorneys that will do it that way. I personally am very much against doing it that way, unless you don't have people that are very responsible in your life or your family, because I would prefer to see my clients have somebody that can act without having a committee making a decision. Decision by committee is very rarely efficient or effective, and it very often has bad results. And so while, of course, you know, you want to, your family, your children, whoever's making these decisions on you should be, have, should be consulting with one another, of course they should be. You want one person to be able to make a decision without interference from other people. And so mm-hmm. I always say, pick the best person for the job. Sometimes the best person for you for health is going to be different than the right person for you for money, mm-hmm. right? And just always pick the best person for the job. And don't worry about what's quote unquote fair, because when you're in a crisis, you need to have somebody that's going to be able and is going to be knowledgeable enough to do the right thing and not worry about being fair to them. Fair. I mean, you know, it's silly. And anybody that's an adult that thinks it's unfair that mom or dad picked so-and-so over them, it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of juvenile, right? It's mm-hmm. a juvenile thought process to get all upset about that. If they made that decision, that's their decision, and we should respect it. But um, that's a lot of times what sort of people do. Also, you know, who's going to be in charge after your death? And, you know, if we have minor people in our life, who's going to be responsible for the long term? Because it might not be just our children. For some of your listeners, it might be grandchildren also, that if we want to leave money to grandchildren. So do you want um, your son's wife, if something happens to your son, to be responsible for your money? on behalf of your children. And for many of my clients, the answer is absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But you need to make sure that your legal documents are properly set up so that that's not the sort of default result. Mm -hmm. And these are the conversations you need to have. Because what you don't want to do, of course, is get to the attorney's office. And this doesn't happen very often. You don't (laughs) want to get to the attorney's office and start yelling at each other because you disagree, right? Um, you know, you want to be clear about it. You know, maybe your brother-in-law, you would never want him to be responsible for your money, but your husband might be like, my brother's just fine. Well, that's a fight you need to have not in the attorney's office. (laughs) So, I mean, we would prefer that there is agreement all the way across the board, but occasionally these are touchy subjects and, you know, it's much better to, of course, get them hashed out before you even go there. But I will say that that's probably one of the things that holds people up from doing this is that there might be conflict in the conversation of even getting there. And so, you know, there's ways to sort of resolve those conflicts. And there's a way to cool down and really try to see the other person's point of view. And maybe you're going to be able to agree and maybe you're not. But um, maybe then there needs to be an alternate decision if you're never going to agree about that one. You know, sometimes it's you, I think the agreement at the beginning needs to be, we are going to have a plan by the time we leave here. And if it means we can't agree on a topic, then we're going to agree to go to plan B. One thing I'm wondering is that if you are not able to agree, but you just decide that you're going to come up with something until you do agree, is there any steps you can take to make your decisions legally binding until you get to that point where you can agree and put it down on paper with an attorney? No. Let me rephrase that. Maybe. But that is definitely going to be a state or province specific issue. And every state and province has different rules about what is going to be legally binding 
for that kind of thing in the absence of having properly executed and notarized documents, you know, and witnessed in the whole shebang and in the right legal format. So you really, that's why you need to be clear about what's going to be the, the thing for you. But let me tell you one of the reasons why I really don't like that anyway, because what we have seen in the American courts is do-it-yourself legal documents very often are very successfully challenged. Uh-huh. And that's not good, right? If you do it yourself, they can be, they, we see time and again that those types of documents are successfully challenged. Even, you know, I have a situation where, you know, somebody downloaded a legal document from a online legal services provider and now we're in court, and this is related to healthcare and financial power of attorney, because, you know, there's a lot of accusations flying around, but I firmly believe that if they would have done it properly with an attorney to begin with, that none of these accusations would have even been able to move forward because the issue, you know, one of the issues is that the person that signed it didn't know what they were doing. Well, mm-hmm. if you have it properly done, then that argument goes away. It's when you do it yourself that you leave yourself open to those kinds of arguments. So the answer is it might be possible. And, you know, I guess a temporary thing or, you know, something is always better than nothing. But also you want to be careful that you don't give yourself a false sense of security that things are all taken care of. Excellent. And then the last question I had for you, I thank you so much for all your time, Nicole, is that does this need to be reevaluated every so often or is this good forever? Yeah, so there's three times when your plan is going to need to change. If your life changes, and this can be maybe you do have a healthcare crisis or now you are getting older or maybe you got married or you got divorced. So your life changes, your plan should change, your wishes change or your desires change, um, and then you want to change your plan or the law changes. And so those are the three times when things would need to be revisited. So the answer to your question is yes, it is not one and done. The frequency at which you are going to revisit these things is going to be up to you. But in our office, we want our clients to come in at least once every three years just to see if anything needs to be done. It may not need to be. Okay, that sounds fantastic. Thank you so much, Nicole, for sharing all this fabulous information. Where can everybody find you if they need some legal advice? My law firm website is www.milikemichiganestatelawyer.com. Or you can find me at smartplanning101.com. Perfect. So I'll put all those links into the show notes. And thanks again for being so generous with your time. Thank you so much, Gina, for having me. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I really enjoyed that interview with Nicole. I think it was very helpful and gives you lots of information of all the things that you need to know to get a will done. So come on out there, guys. Get your will done. Don't put it off another day. And of course, seek some legal advice that is relevant to the province, the state, or country where you live. So I'd like to just thank everybody for the reviews. I'm going to share a couple with you. But first is the podcast recommendation of the week. And this one is by Yuri Alkame, or for Yuri Alkame. And he has a book called The All-Day Energy Diet. And this is something that I just started introducing into my life in the last few days. And he says that you can double your energy in seven days. Now, Yuri also has a couple of podcasts. And when you buy this book, 
you put the code in for the purchase into his website and you get a whole bunch of free, very valuable information. There's cookbooks, there's all kinds of stuff. So I definitely recommend that you check that out and I'll let you know how it goes as I try some of these different recipes. So far, the ones that I have tried have been great. And so moving on to reviews, a big thanks to everybody for leaving a review. I'd like to share two today. And the first one is a five-star review on iTunes by Joanne Sloan. She says, you are not alone. I love that Gina started her second chance journey from the hospital. She turned her feelings of being alone in her near-death experience into a blog and podcast that helps others know that they are not alone with something so frightening and life-changing. Thank you so much, Joanne. And the next one is by Jade Inspiration in the United States. She left a five-star review and said Gina is a gem. I love Gina's podcast. She is an incredible host coming from her heart. Gina is insightful, authentic, giving, and intelligent. Thank you so much, Gina. You are amazing. Your kind words, they've left me blushing. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing everybody next week. If you'd like to head on over to that blog at everydayisasecondchance.com, I will share all the links, Nicole's contact information, how you can get this book by Yuri, and the reviews. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Second Chance Radio. Personal stories of near-death experiences, the journey, and beyond. For the most positive and uplifting time on the radio. So tune in again with your host, Gina Kane of Second Chance Radio. Second Chance Radio. Second Chance Radio.